Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? My kids are back in school and it's like I'm a new man. There like you go. They're, got, the, they're, got the routine yeah. going. Yes. You know, summer's just tough. You're, I mean, you're kind of ready when it gets here. You're tired of, you know, all, all the uh, getting everybody ready in the morning and all of the homework and stuff. But then after a while, you just sort of run out of things to do. Yes. You know, the, the kids are here at the house all the time and... You know, we work during the day and they, we have sitters or we have people that watch them or, you know, even the, the older brother who's in high school now can watch them. But it's just like they're, they just get stir crazy. Right. And you get home and from work and then they, they want to do stuff. And yeah. You're like, I just don't want to do anything. Right. And it just doesn't match. Well, now it's, we're all tired when we get home. Yes. So that's right. Well, it's funny. Um, and this happens every summer. Our summers are usually full of, of traveling, uh, between, um, oh, we know, Amy. Trust yes, us. We know yes. here on the Between podcast. Between SVC and... and uh, Canada and Japan. Yes, vacations, mission trips. And then our kids always, you know, go like a week to the grandparents and sometimes, you know, both sets. So every summer we will get from them. I'm so tired of traveling. I don't want to do this. You know, I, I'm in and out, which we understand. And then when they're home for a week, because August, usually they're home more... It takes like three days and we start hearing, I'm bored. Exactly. So I think the traveling, actually, it's very adventurous and fun. And then August, because we don't get things started around here till the end of the month, till almost Labor Day. Mm. So um, so I, I think I think my kids are actually getting ready as well. Yep. And school starts at Southeastern. It started this week, right? That's right. Yes. So uh, Thursday... Um, the 16th was convocation and the first day of classes. Of course, for a lot of people, you know, they may have Monday classes or, you know, whatever. So not yeah. everyone started class on uh, on that day, but it it, it is kind of kicking everything off. All right. Now, I, I saw a picture from Southeastern's convocation. Yes. Of Dr. Ecker. Yes. In not just a kilt. Right. Not just Jordans. Right. But a kilt and Jordans. A kilt and Jordans, yes. So, uh, so Dr. Ecker. The Jordans uh, is a normal thing for him. That's his thing. Right. He wears Jordans with everything, suits, you know, and anything. He has different, he has different colors, you know, all of this. But he did, he did wear a kilt in the convocation processional. You know, he got his, uh, he got his PhD at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. Yeah, in Scotland. And, and I would live, hope so. Right. And he lived over there. I know some people will do, you know, European PhDs and travel back and forth, but he actually lived over there for a time. And, yeah. um, and, and he's also, one of the SBC leaders for the, uh, the Europe, the Oxford trip they do every right. year. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and so also when you get the European degrees, those, uh, the regalia is not, you know, the, it's, it's open. So you, yeah. whatever suit is, you know, worn under, you know, you can kind of see. And so it, they're, there he was, wore the kilt and uh, the Jordans right there with it. So put that we put that out on social um, yesterday. That was different. It that was, was different. different. It was different. Uh, but it was it was a really good day. Convocation was uh, in, joyful as always, and we had uh, a few uh, faculty elections. Um, Ad Miles, who is one of our uh, English professors and the first female uh, to be elected in quite a while, we had done a story about that. 
Um, she got to sign the Baptist Faith and Message and Abstract of Principles uh, yesterday, along with Tate Cockrell. And then uh, we installed a chair, which was really cool because it was after, you know, 15 years after it was uh, named in sort of the original project. So it installed for Charles Page, who had been the pastor of First Baptist Charlotte. And uh, then, uh, so that was in his in his honor, in his memory. And then uh, also named the Johnny Hunt uh, chair uh, for, and named uh, Scott Pace into the Johnny Hunt chair as well. So that, it was a big day. Were those chairs made of wicker or wood? Oh, or? aren't you funny? Yeah. They I, get try, to, I try they, to be. Yeah, they get some a pretty cool metal they get to wear. So that's really fun. Yep. Uh, I know all of our seminaries are kind of getting underway. Our friends up at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, they also get underway, I think, next week. And uh, we are proud to have them as a sponsor again for the year. Uh, located in Louisville, Kentucky, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary is committed to training future pastors, missionaries, and gospel leaders. You can learn more about undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral programs by visiting sbts.edu. I know all of our seminaries are excited about the coming semester. Uh, a lot of things going on on a lot of different campuses, a lot of change on some campuses, a lot of stability on others. So I uh, wish all of our seminary students and uh, doctoral degree students, undergraduates, graduates, whoever they may be, all the best on the coming school year. Some big news out of NAM this week, Amy. The North American Mission Board announced the launch of an evangelism group and named Jim Law, the executive pastor of First Baptist Church Woodstock, Georgia, as the executive director. Yeah. So this is a group. It's a, an evangelism and leadership group. And uh, we've got the, the story, the release that Mike Ebert from NAM uh, did sent out through Baptist Press. We'll have that in the show notes, but it's a, a group that will promote evangelism among our churches, provide resources and equip pastors. Uh, so, and Jim Law has been at Woodstock for a long, long time. Um, I've known of him for almost 20 years now, uh, has served very faithfully there. And so this is the, this is a, a, a big deal. Um, Nam also, it mentioned in the story, has had a partnership with the Timothy Barnabas ministry that has originated out of Woodstock, uh, founded by Johnny Hunt. And they're actually transitioning that ministry over to Nam as well, uh, that helps train pastoral leaders. Yeah. Now Nam is driving the Barnabas. Oh, I I just don't even know if I should acknowledge that. <laughs> the the Timothy that's, Barnabas. That's like a dad joke right there. Uh, it's not amazing. like a dad joke. That is a dad joke right there. But yes, they okay. are. And uh, John Aiken's going to be helping out with that uh, with a two-year mentoring opportunity through the Timothy Barnabas Institute. So very cool. Yes. Yep. Very good. All right, so congratulations, Nam. They did mention that uh, Law will start his role on October 1st. And then on October 2nd, the North American Mission Board will present two trustees at their regularly scheduled fall meeting, a candidate for Vice President of Evangelism and Leadership. That name is not included in the release, so we'll have to wait until October to find that out. Yeah. All right, uh, some news, some tragic news. Oh, my goodness. Out of Pennsylvania this past week, the Catholic Church was hit with a grand jury indictment of uh, more than 300 Catholic clergy members for sexually abusing more than 1,000 victims over the past seven decades, a 900-page grand jury report. And uh, we bring this up. It was a story in Baptist Press because of a uh, statement by J.D. Greer that was included in it. Yeah, so just says, we grieve over this report from the grand jury. The safety and healing for victims is paramount. 
I also recognize that this is not an isolated problem. We must ask ourselves what bold steps need to be taken in eradicating this horrific sin from within our community. Over the last several weeks, I've heard from many advocates, victims, counselors, denominational leaders, and legal experts, and look forward to unveiling new steps that we as Southern Baptists can take together. This is just gut-wrenching, this story, and really brings back, you know, the, the stories from... 2002, you know, primarily that really broke. Um, and you and I have talked before about the movie Spotlight. But, yeah, I watched it again uh, this week. Yeah, that because that, of this, like the night of this, and I was right. like, I've got to watch that. Some fascinating, um, just information in that, and some lines in that that really resonate now in light of not just this, but the stories that we've been hearing around the Southern Baptist right, Convention. Right, just really make you think, and and it's. I'm reminded with this story coming out of Pennsylvania, you know, when, when the Boston Globe broke that in 2002, that's when we were at Southern Seminary and we lived in Louisville, which is a, a, a predominantly Catholic city. And there, when that happened, and you can even see at the end of Spotlight where it pops up all the cities where issues were found. Well, a lot of issues were found in the Louisville diocese, not to this level, but to a significant level. And so the news was huge there. It was on the news all the time. Um, and so I can just remember a lot of discussion about it back then. This Pennsylvania grand jury report just kind of brought up all of that, uh, the, the memories and it's incredible 900 pages i can't even imagine what it must have been like for this grand jury for the members of this to have to deal with with the details you know and just to recognize the the size of this how awful that is over seven decades um over 1,000 victims and um just processes that protected this system you know so really difficult but the Baptist Press story also includes some quotes from um, Malcolm Yarnell at Southwestern and uh, from Al Mohler from some of the things he said in the briefing. As we, um, as the Southern Baptist Convention, have to look at our own systems and are considering things, uh, this, is th- this story just shows us how serious issues like this can be. Yeah, very serious issues, and we do want to remind you that uh, J.D. Greer has promised a, a formation of a study group. Uh, I know they are working toward that uh, for some recommendations and some uh, resources to come from uh, the new SPC president. So we anticipate that uh, coming later in his uh, tenure as president. Uh, we'll keep an eye out for that. Now, some good news, Amy, out at Saddleback, celebrating their 50,000th baptism. That is a massive number. That was pretty incredible. I saw a lot of uh, social media about that this week. That's that's amazing. 38 years of ministry um and hundreds of people were baptized this weekend at their 19, you know, different campuses, uh including several people that Rick Warren uh baptized in a pool and so it talks about they had their first services in 1980. And not long after that Rick Warren baptized nine new believers. And now, 49,991 people later, here we are. This is a, a fantastic story there. And I think somebody calculated it was like 3.6 baptisms per day over the last 38 years. So That's incredible. Yeah. And uh, so also, the Southern Baptist Deaf marked a, their 70th annual meeting. Nearly 200 people from 20 states uh, met here in Brentwood, Tennessee at the Brentwood Baptist Deaf Church. You know, this is just an amazing ministry that I, I don't think we talk a lot about, see a lot. But it's a really a great ministry that Southern Baptists have. 
and, and have done over, you know, now seven decades headed into their eighth decade. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we have about 40 Southern Baptist deaf churches, about yep. 20 churches and about 40 more churches with uh, deaf ministries and 20 with interpretive ministries registered with the group. You know, um, I didn't really know a lot about this until I started working uh, with Ed Stetzer because he's planted a couple of deaf churches. So I I learned more about that from him, um, and it's pretty phenomenal that this has been going for 70 years. This actually makes me uh, think when we were in Tokyo, we visited a church, uh, the second church that we worshipped with on Sunday morning, and they had um, deaf interpreters and had about four or five uh, deaf members at that church. So they had that you know, right there on the, on the front row. And I even got to go and sort of talk to them and interact because the person, um, that was their interpreter was also able to understand some English. So then I could, you know, get a message, you know, to the, to those people, but that's an incredible work. But this is amazing. 70 years of this ministry. Yes. And did you know that the sign language interpreter, you know, we, we're, we're kind of accustomed to seeing that at large gatherings. Right. Uh, you know, maybe even evangelistic crusades. Billy Graham was the uh, really the one that started the use of sign language interpreters uh, back in the 50s for huh. his crusades. He, he hired an interpreter to go with him on these crusades and to sign the, the sermon. And he started. Wow. And, he, and that's kind of where we get, it wasn't really in... Uh, I guess a mainstream is maybe the right word for it, but we we weren't used to having deaf interpreters of you know public right. speeches, presidential speeches, things like that. That didn't happen yeah. until Billy Graham came along in the Billy Graham Crusades in the fifties, and he did. And, um, That's amazing. And he was the first one to bring him. So, well, something in this story which we'll put in there talks about some of the challenges. Uh, challenges being lack of funding, play, ways that they need help with resources. The Southern Baptist Conference of the Deaf Directory of Churches is online. So they have a, a website, sbcdeaf.blogspot.com, and it has pins that mark the spots for deaf churches and missions. And then they even, they want Southern Baptist churches who have deaf ministries to add their names to the list of the directory. So if any of our listeners out there have deaf ministries, um, go in and uh, add your church to the list so that they're aware of that. And then also, if you see a church in your area, that may be uh, someone that you could reach out and ask if they need any help. Yeah. Our church in uh, Alabama, Crosspoint, had a deaf interpreter. Uh, we had a couple of couples that were uh, deaf, and we had an interpreter that, that provided, you know, translation in real time for the sermons and stuff. So that was always kind of neat. Very cool. All right. And finally, Amy, some sad news out of uh, Southwestern. Betty Dilday, wife of former President Russell Dilday, uh, passed away this past week. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I think I saw it first on Twitter. I know that you tweeted it out of our account, and then the obituary started uh, coming to the surface. And so, you know, Russell Dilday, a lot of people will know that name. Uh, he was president of Southwestern from 1978 to 1994. He's currently the chancellor and professor of philosophy and re of religion and preaching for the B.H. Carroll Theological Institute, uh, but very involved in Southern Baptist life many, many decades ago. Um, so our prayers go out to their family. So that's going to do it for the news this week. And that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right. So I'm going to go to 1970. And there's something that's interesting in here and then uh, kind of an interesting point in history. And then there's just an interesting article. But uh, the 1970 issue, August 18th issue of Baptist Press 
reported in the, the last story of the issue that Southern Seminary would study offering Doctor of Ministry degrees. So this was the point they sort of announced that Southern would begin investigating the possibility of shifting to the DMIN degree as its basic professional level degree offered by the School of Theology. Uh, so very interesting, opening the door. They actually talked at that point about moving from offering the MDiv as their basic study program to the DMIN. I never knew that that was considered. Um, so obviously that didn't happen. The MDiv kind of remains the, the main thing. Um, but it's fascinating because... I mean, there are a lot of pastors out there and people in other ministries who have received the demon degree from all of our seminaries. Um, but, you know, when I first worked at Southern, that was one of the um, that was one of the major degrees that yeah. in the office I was in, we, we worked with. Yeah. And uh, and it all started this week in SBC history. So yeah. it's pretty cool. My boss, Dr. Tom Rainer, when he was the dean at Southern really used the D men program to explode the Billy Graham school. I mean, it was, it was kind of the bread and butter of the Billy Graham school because it was seen as a practical ministry uh, school. I guess you could say the practical ministry focus of the D men fit well with the Billy Graham school launch back then. I know they, they do a lot of D men's now also a lot of PhDs as well. And other degrees, you know, master's level degrees, MDivs and MAs, but yeah, Dr. Rayner, I mean, like he built the, Graham school up on the back of the D men and yeah. back in the, the yeah. early nineties, the mid nineties. So, yeah. So really interesting just to see sort of the news saying they're going to start studying this and then realizing here we sit with so many people out there who have been trained in this way. The issue also has a very interesting article about Henley Barnett, um, speaking at a, a Christian life commission conference on the drug crisis in the church. And, he it just some of the advice that he gives to parents um it talks about uh, don't turn a youngster on drugs over to the over to the police that was kind of the the number one advice that he he gives and there's just a lot of quotes in here i'm not going to read them all but i'm going to say it's an interesting story did you see the one on the seminary professors taking sabbatical leaves you need to talk keith into one of these because look where they're taking these sabbaticals oh uh, te to teach at the rush Lacan Baptist Theological Seminary in Zurich, the uh, University of Leiden and the Royal Dutch Library of The Hague. Uh, I guess that's obviously in the Netherlands. And then another one in the University of London and another one at um, uh, just staying home, really, uh, Texas Christian. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you need to talk Keith into a, a sabbatical at the university, uh, some university in Zurich. Well, I know a lot of people that have done sabbaticals in Europe. And they're amazing. Usually people do that when their kids are out of the house. So I think we... Okay, so you got four we, or five years. It's kind of tough to do it at this stage. Some people, you know, they take their kids and they go and they do school wherever they are. But we're probably a f several years away from being able to do one of those sabbaticals. I think Drew and Mary would be glad to bite the bullet for one year and live in Zurich. I, I, I don't know them that well, but I know them well enough to know... Probably so. Or maybe... Probably maybe, be okay with that. Yeah, they probably would. Or maybe Tokyo. I think they'd like to do it in Tokyo. Yeah. I would do. I would be happy for a sabbatical in Canada, Jonathan. Yeah, you'd be happy to just move to Canada, but yes, that's a different thing, right? So that's going to move us on to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is mine is a book that I just learned about this week from I think Nathan Finn. 
posted it on social media. It is called Atticus Finch, The Biography. So for those out there who might be fans of To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, the book or the movie, the book or the movie or both, um, this is written by Joseph Crespino and it is about sort of the development of that character. Um, and then how, uh, the development of the character, how Harper Lee sort of patterned it after her father. And then, um, and then how the character kind of developed over time with how she wrote to, with how she wrote Ghost at a Watchman and then To Kill a Mockingbird. And then even how the depiction, Gregory Peck's depiction in the movie, uh, shaped people's understanding of Atticus Finch. Now, I'm recommending it. I haven't read it yet, but because Nathan Finn recommended it, I think it's, a solid win. Um, and it's on my list to get, I'm very excited about this. So I very thought cool. there might be some listeners out there that would be interested as well. Awesome. That sounds interesting. I, I, I had not seen that. I must've missed that tweet. So yeah, I did see his one with his Brainerd coffee mug, but yes, I saw it on Facebook. So it could be ah. that it didn't make it onto Twitter. I'm not sure, but gotcha. All right. Well, my resource of the week is the 2018 SBC annual. There you that go. Was just released last Friday. Last Friday was like Christmas around this house. Uh, first day of school, it was Premier League and the annual all in one day. It was the greatest day of the year so far. Uh, but I recommend you going out there, read the annual, check the, uh, the data. There's a lot of data, a lot of information. The, uh, SBC annual meeting sermon. If you had to miss that because of seminary lunches or whatever on that Wednesday afternoon, I know we ran long that morning and a lot of people had to miss that sermon. It's in there in full. So you can go and read the sermon. Dr. Gaines's address from the SBC annual is in there as well. So a lot of information. You can go back. You can relive SBC 2018 in Dallas uh, with the, the uh, all the minutes and all the information uh, that is in there, and just a bunch of different information data from the different entities. You can read the financial reports, uh, which are great for helping you sleep at night. Uh, but there's a lot of information and data in there. I highly recommend it. I know a lot of blood, sweat, and tears go into that. And our friend Allison over at the executive committee works her tail off getting this ready. So yes, she does an amazing job. Yeah. So go check it out. It's, it's, uh, online now we'll link to it. And, uh, we have also included in there the trustee names and, and rosters. We have updated that at sbcthisweek.com. You can find those in the sidebar as always easily accessible or sbcthisweek.com. All right, that's going to do it for us this week on the podcast. Amy, kind of a short week. we got some big happenings in the next couple of months. I know seminaries, we talked about that. That means they're starting, and you know what that means, trustee meetings right around the yes, corner. Yes, here they uh, come. We, ex- we expect some news uh, maybe on a potential search team from Southwestern soon. Lifeways trustee meeting is next week, and then I think we've got NAM and the executive committee in September and a bunch of the seminaries in October. I think IMB also in September. So, uh, you know, we got some entity head positions opening. We're still waiting from search committees and reports from them and candidates. So a lot to happen here in the fall in the SBC, and we'll bring it to you every week here. So we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>